We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers got a crazy overtime win over the Knicks on Saturday. This team plays the most stressful, wild games. And LeBron James returned. And it wasn't all pretty, certainly. The Lakers gave up 42 points to the Knicks in the first quarter and 71 points in the first half. You had Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett cooking. I love getting Mike Breen just in general. He's great at what he does. But him calling a Knicks game has an extra layer of familiarity to it because he's their regular announcer, right? And he was like, wow, check out the Knicks. They're really pushing the pace and look at them cook, right? Because the Knicks are are kind of like the Lakers East this year in terms of, I don't want to get too far down this, this rabbit hole, but a lot of similarities between Vogel and Tibbs and just both teams have been kind of struggling to regain, you know, what the Knicks had last year. The Lakers had two seasons ago. But anyhow, Breen's calling them like, wow, check out the Knicks. And meanwhile, Russell Westbrook is playing one of the most actively harmful games I've seen a key player play. And aside from Malik Monk, no role player is, has a real standout performance for the Lakers. And so the Knicks were playing great, and the Lakers didn't have much going for them at all. But the Lakers still won the game on the strength of the dominance of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Mike, I like to compare LeBron and AD to having two of the dragons from Game of Thrones on your side. And having two guys like that on your side can cover up for a multitude of sins. And so this game presents somewhat of a a floor for us, a starting point. You know, knock on wood, we can get that little stretch of health. But you've been preaching the gospel of LeBron James and Anthony Davis for a long time. And as I said a, a few pods ago, the end part, we leave it out a little bit, Mike. But we had LeBron and AD and played a generally terrible game and still got the win. So what did you take away from from Saturday's performance? Yeah, I think the rest of the league looks at the Lakers the same way, where, okay, there's Anthony Davis looking like Anthony Davis and LeBron James came back from his knee injury or from his knee swelling and looks like LeBron James. Like he right from so uh, let me take out the first stint because uh, there I thought he was feeling things out and the Lakers as a result were feeling things out. And that to me represented why they struggled so much early 
because you, you, you could even see it. Like Stanley Johnson's kind of looking over, Westbrook's looking over, Monk's looking over at LeBron. How is he going to be moving? Is he going to be aggressive? Like, what should we do? And all of a sudden, it's 9-0. Two turnovers, Knicks pull up, transition three, they're feeling great. And, and so that was, um, that was how the tide was going. I think that was the first time Darius said, it doesn't matter if the Lakers are going to win this game, uh, and ended up being right, of course. But I will just, I'll stop at the headline of LeBron, the concern level that we all had for his knee, and understandably so, he did not look like he was favoring it. Or it, And I, like, I do think that it's going to be something he has to manage moving forward. But if he can play like that, even if he has to take the occasional back-to-back off or something like that, then that does restore a certain element of hope for what this Lakers season can turn into, despite all of the flaws. And then AD had 17 rebounds, four blocks, and three steals. And I'll just leave it at that, Darius, for what he did. Pete, a few days ago, a week ago, who knows how long ago it was, the way that this Lakers season has been moving, you had said something along the lines of, man, Russell Westbrook's last game and LeBron James' last game and Anthony Davis's last game, those were all great games. And you were referring to three separate games. That's right. (laughs) That's the problem. They're all three (laughs) different games. (laughs) And the idea of getting AD back and him playing to the level that he's been playing at since he returned. And that was an open question. Remember, we had that whole lead up of AD is coming back soon. What's he going to look like? What's he going to look like? How is he going to play? How is he going to put his imprint on games? And he's been amazing. He's been that clear cut. I'm a top 10 player in the league sort of guy. And in terms of like big men, not necessarily like at Jokic's level, because he's a different sort of player, but that guy is just like, okay, you're unbelievable on offense and on defense. And having that guy back is such a blessing for the Lakers that to now have LeBron back too. And I'm with Mike 100% about where LeBron was early in the game. But LeBron looked dominant during middle portions of the game. And I thought, Pete, his shift in the fourth quarter was maybe the most important stretch of the entire game. Like the Lakers had erased the lead that the Knicks had had. And I think we're up maybe three points going into the fourth quarter. I honestly can't remember the score. And the lineup that was out there was a survival group to me. Yes. And LeBron looked not quite ready to carry that group. Like the way the offensive possessions were unfolding. It was just like eight seconds left. LeBron has the ball and he passes it to Austin Reeves. And it's sort of just like, oh, okay, that's how this one's going to go. Like, <laughs> like this really is a survival group. Yeah. But that group locked in on defense. LeBron got a couple of plays offensively. He hit that fadeaway jumper from the left baseline. And it was like he did so much to keep the Lakers afloat from an offensive hub standpoint and from a I'm going to lock in defensively standpoint because that's what this group can do, that I thought it was just the most important shift. And so having LeBron be able to sort of carry a group of bench guys that probably didn't have the talent to be carried at that point and AD playing to that dragon level that you've been talking about, that's the synergy from a LeBron and AD team that gives this team some promise. 
that survival lineup too was quite a contrast to the survival lineup we saw in the first half, which was Russell Westbrook and Trevor Ariza and Avery Bradley and DeAndre Jordan. And that uh, like we can. I don't really want to get into the lineups and, and all of that, although we did see the starting lineup we've been kind of pining for. Bradley was on the bench, and after the game, Vogel said that if we're facing a team that has a you know a guard, that a dominant guard, then Bradley would still continue to start. But we did get the lineup that we that we pined for, but I don't really want to do the go on the lineup route too much. But LeBron, like if you're gonna have a, a few guys out there that can't play having LeBron on the floor really covers up for a multitude of sins. And so part of this idea of having two dragons to me is you can have one of them on the court at all times. And, and so Mike, that's why in the first half I was like, why do we have this Russ led unit with DJ and a reason AB, which is obviously we're just trying to get through these few minutes, but that's why, like, if you're going to have a group where you've got mellow out, none obviously has been out the, the whole year where Having LeBron on the floor or AD on the floor can help cover for that. But in the absence of one of them, we've had so many minutes this year without either of them on the floor. And I feel like this is the whole basis of what we do. This is a, a point that you've preached, you know, for quite a long time now. And so, but having them locked into place means that we don't have to go any minutes without one of those guys on the floor. Right. And you, and so Pete, you would reference that it was a tough night for Russ. And of course, Frank decides not to play him in overtime. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so we're back to that part again and kind of seeing how Russ reacts to that in the next game. But for this one, it was tough because it was he was one for 10 from the field. And LeBron and AD spoke extensively about this after the game. So I would encourage you to just go to Lakers.com and listen Mm -hmm. to what they say about it as opposed to us regurgitating it. But he also he had six assists to four turnovers. So you sort of need at least one or the other, you know, for him to either be setting guys up. And what Pete you've talked about is the drive and kick game or or doing some some more of the finishing uh, that's been going off. But so with with that not there and then Malik Monk struggled early, but he explodes in that third quarter. And I believe he had either 20 or 22 points out of his 29 or was it was it 18? He, Here, he only had five at halftime. Yeah. 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 So, so he was mm-hmm. he was really really cooking and that and that sets up a different dynamic too that's how they cut into the lead and then we're back into the whole all right who are frank vogel's best five in this case and he winds up going to tht um for the extra session instead of stanley johnson and ariza stayed out there as well and ariza who we haven't talked about yet yeah he, that's a second straight encouraging you know performance from ariza who of course had been struggling in his previous stint so um, all all of those things are, are going to be factors as we get into these next couple of games, but um, certainly we're in the game against the Knicks. Let's take a quick break when we come back and let's talk a little bit of a reason. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Ariza was not great in that game, D, but he was a competent forward. He was... 6'8", and he did 6'8 things. He got beat by Julius a couple times and a couple players by, you know, speed attacks. Like, he can't move his feet particularly well. But he was in the right place, hit a big three that I think basically put the game out of reach, took the lead from four to seven in overtime. And LeBron came up to him afterward and was like, I trust you, you know? Uh, and, and you could see him mouthing that. Talk to me a little bit about Ariza. He made a comment in the post game. This is a great find by our producer, Jeannie, where he was like, this is the first surgery I've recovered from in his very, very long career. And so if I'm holding on to any optimism with Trevor Ariza is that it is this not just getting his wind back thing that we saw in those first few bits of game, but this is an, a veteran player recovering from injuries. I am still skeptical that he can move well enough Ultimately, yeah. Mike, uh, to, to be able to do that. But it was good to see him functional. It helps out a lot. Just to set this up one one extra layer for Darius. So that was so I had I ended up doing radio and we got Ariza for the walk off. And and so I set up the question like, hey, I know it was a tough start to the year for you. You had the surgery, struggled some. You weren't playing last week, right? Like what that what is going on now? Are you feeling better physically? And that's where he said, he's kind of like, well, yeah, man, like it's my first surgery. Like I didn't. And he said it with a with a tone, which he should have, like almost with some defiance. Like, well, yeah, like, you can't expect that I'm going to be out there, you know, being mm-hmm. able to fully play like this. And by the way, it was 18 points in the third quarter for Monk before I forget that one. But Darius, that, that was the context of uh, Ariza. Uh, and I wondered what you saw uh, in terms of his movement, in terms of his play and all that. Yeah. So his movement is still dicey to me. He's just old, man. It's funny because Ariza's like the same, he's like the same high school class, I think, as LeBron, basically, right? And so Trevor spent one year at UCLA, I think, and mm-hmm. then he was drafted in the second round by the, the Knicks, Knicks mm-hmm. and then got traded to Orlando. LeBron and Ariza had a couple of, I think, or at least one like epic high school battle where, in fact, there was like a long sort of, and Brian Windhorst had, had, has talked about this in the past, but I don't want to say like bad blood between the two, but like sort of like LeBron has a memory like an elephant. And it was one of those things where Ariza was looked at as one of the, if not the high school player in their class, like very early on. Especially at his position. He was one of the forwards, like one of the guys you would compare at yes. the time to possibly LeBron James in, in the con- conversation. Yeah. And what high school did Ariza go to, Pete? Did he go to Westchester? Oh, he went, no, to, went Westchester. to Westchester. Yep. One of, uh, under Ed Azam, who uh, broke Willie West's high school coaching record for uh, wins in California. Azam won, has won like eight state titles. Right. And, and so Ariza 
great basketball player in California. And LeBron, right, going to be Mr. Basketball in Ohio, basically his entire high school career. And they had this matchup and LeBron's just like, I like I'm going to go at it with this dude. And Windhorse has sort of explained that like over the years, right, that that there's sort of been like, oh, like LeBron always remembers that, that like, oh, whatever sort of chips that the great players have to carry on on their shoulders, they carry those forever because they motivate them. I bring that up because it always makes me laugh to think of LeBron and LeBron's doing like coming off of a knee thing and then whistle blows and he's doing like windmill double pump reverse dunks, right? And then I look at Trevor uh, uh, Ariza. Shots don't even count. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, oh, whatever. I'll just do this after the whistle. But Ariza's like the same age as LeBron. And so if you want to know how LeBron should be moving, he should probably be moving more like Trevor Ariza. Yeah, it's right? crazy. But Ariza, I don't think he's ever going to get back to the level where he was even two or three years ago. Going into the bubble, for example, Ariza was doing real work for Portland. And Portland felt truly disappointed, I think, that Ariza was not going to go with them in to the bubble because he had been sort of a difference maker off of the bench for them. Or as a starter, I think, as, as a forward. And so, Mike... This idea of Ariza sort of being defiant, like he's stuck in the league as a second round pick for almost two decades because of a certain amount of defiance, a Mm. certain amount of I know what the hell I'm doing Mm -hmm. and I can get this done. I was an elite athlete in my day and he sort of evolved into that prototypical role player guy who fills in the gaps and Pete, to sort of get back to what I saw in in Ariza, it was that stuff. It was the I know how to I know how to tag in the paint and take up space and get a box out and then maybe rotate back out and find another guy. I know how to sit on a player's left hand because that's their dominant hand, make them spin back into a more difficult shot, even if I can't really stay with them to contest that, that's not the shot that they want. Or I make them burn a little bit more clock within the context of of a possession because I'm just handsy and in a good position and no angles. And he's stronger. He's got real old man strength now where he can sort of fend guys off and body you inside and make it so that things aren't as easy around the basket if if he's sort of shoving on you or leaning on you. And those were all just super useful things for for the Lakers. One of the things I wanted to get back to you about is the Lakers started switching more. And I think Ariza is a key part of the idea. Like you always talk about the line, like where's the line to switch, right? Yeah. Meaning when do you switch versus when do you run Frank's scheme of going over the top of screens and all that? Yeah. Yes. And Vogel has been more conservative than I think any of us would really like. He's less conservative than than what he was earlier during the year, but it's just like, oh, the line needs to move a little bit more. And we often think of the line within the context of what the other team has. But Ariza moves that line for Frank Vogel. He is someone where it's like, oh, I feel more comfortable now switching because Ariza is on the court. And I think that's beneficial to the Lakers, even if he's not going to do as much defensively in uh, his individual matchups. 
Well, and part of I think part of the reason why he does that too is because opposing teams still respect Ariza even if he's not moving well because they know that he at least knows that like where to be and how to get there. So they're not going to go and try to get a switch like they might for Monk or for Mello, for example, Pete. And that that to me is the difference towards towards like how the team defends, right? And that's that's kind of where I think it's so vocal has had such a tough a tough time this year. And that there weren't there wasn't anybody to target on the team the last couple of years, at least most of the time when guys were out there on the floor and they weren't going to target. I'll stop. You guys know who was on the team uh, in the past. Mm -hmm. And it's different. And and he does have to get more comfortable with it. And I think it has been this kind of ongoing battle um, for for Vogel this year. But, yeah, that's the the other thing to throw out here, Pete, as a as a teaser is like once Melo comes back, because it doesn't look like this is as bad as we initially feared. Maybe you can get both he and Ariza some additional time by using both of them now, as opposed to just, hey, Melo's here 32 minutes, Ariza zero. You know, maybe that elongates their value and what they can bring as as we you know look towards this team trying to make some kind of a run. Amen to all that. And the fact that both of you guys brought up like three different sub elements of switching is why I really want to have a whole pod on it this week, uh, because I think we're going to be getting more and more to that. Because, D, that is what happened in the second half of that game is we so we start out, we get blitz. And I agree that part of it was uh, you follow your leader and you follow the kind of intensity of LeBron in particular. And this team each Lakers team that's had LeBron has had that personality, but I think this one has had it more than any other. And I think that first shift, and he even spoke to this after the game, LeBron's check out what his knee can do, right? He's not in sixth gear on that first stretch. But I think that the one of the one of the results of that is the rest of the team is a little bit tentative as well. But from a practical standpoint, the switching and switching with intent is what we did in that second half. And we go on a big old run to start that third quarter as a, a big function of that. And so the conversation about switching and getting more into the weeds on that, I think, is super fascinating about this team where it's not just like a should they switch or should they go over the top? But what does it mean for this team to become the best switching team that it possibly can be? Because I think that there's one fundamental truth about this team. We have, what, like 25 games left. We have LeBron and AD. We have our two dragons. But we do not have enough time to do anything particularly complicated before now in the playoffs. So as a result, I think it's really important that we simplify and get great at a handful of things. I really wish that we had the time and the health to be able to get great at two handfuls of things, but we don't. We have enough time to to do one of them. And switching is really as simple as switching is, right? Like they set a screen, now you've got this guy and now I've got that guy. There's all of these details to it that are, have to do with doing it well. Let's take a break, D. I want to this could be a whole pod in, in and of himself, but we need to talk about that Russell Westbrook performance. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So as you guys know, I like Russell Westbrook, and I'm a fan of his game while certainly being able to acknowledge the the warts in it. I see what makes everyone else frustrated, too. I just also see the good in him. But learning him over the course of the season um, has, again, provided a lot more depth and color. That was an atrocious performance. It was egregious, Pete. It was egregious. It was about, you know, the, the plus minus stat is funny. And we'd look at individual game plus minus because sometimes like you can be a plus 10 and you were just on the court at the same time. Like two dudes were going off and, Found and playing money. great. You, fe- you dug in your jean pockets and look, here's a $20 bill. Like That's I, right. am, I am plus 10 today. That's right. Exactly. And everybody after the game praises you. Look at this guy. He was a plus 10 tonight. He was great. In reality, he, you know, he was along for the ride. And then there are other times where you're absolutely part of that plus 10 and you were a big part of it. And maybe you should have been a plus 18, but some other doofus dragged you down six points and another guy dragged you down too. Right. So I would love for the tracking of plus minus and as one, and this would be a, something that a person would probably have to do where I can always tell, like, if, if you pause it and rewind it, most of the time in game action, I can see it, but but it's more so in uh, the rewatches, whose fault or credit any particular play goes to. On both ends of the floor, I don't know what Russ was a minus individually in terms of the reason they scored is because you messed up or the reason that we didn't score is because you messed up. He, he would have been a minus 20-something, which from an individual player is – remarkable he was part of that run in the third quarter defensively i thought he he stood up julius on a couple of switches where they were like two rams colliding and a couple of fun defensive plays there but after the game i want to kick it to you first on this mike after the game i i I really i really agree with your point about like listen to the players in in post game i thought both lebron and ad were especially um insightful in that they were like he needs to get out of his own head and that idea of LeBron spoke specifically that Russ is an instinctual player. And that's something that I really want to explore and, and get into more. But I think that that's a, a really, really key point to understand. So, Mike, uh, talk to me about like the the postgame reaction. You were you were there. You were in the room. And I thought everybody, including Vogel, uh, was like, I expect the player to play better. You know, everybody had something to say about that Russ performance. I'd love to hear your thoughts and to help us synthesize what everyone had to say, including your own. Well, the to me, the most interesting one was Anthony Davis, who and Davis, I think, doesn't get enough credit for how he's very open. He's very honest. He's very he's very uh, just genial most of the time. Like he's 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 a. Uh, when he sits down, there isn't this kind of pressure like, oh, here's this superstar. What's he going to say today? He'll just kind of sit and he'll talk and he'll tell you what he mm-hmm. wants to say. And he's he's very rarely in a bad mood, uh, even even after a loss. He's like he might be bummed that they lost, but he seems like he's got a pretty good life perspective on that. And so somebody asked him about 
Russ and I think sort of the crowd response. Uh, there were a couple moments, right, where where Russ was particularly off on a shot, and there was another one where it's a turnover where there was some a smattering of boos. And AD, instead of just doing the kind of, you know, hey, Russ is our guy, like we support him through everything, was kind of like, yeah, you know, like fans are going to get frustrated. I understand, like they want him to play better, you know, and he – which which I think was a was a, is a valuable, just sort of honest thing, like not just dismissing it like, yeah, we do need Russ to play better. And it doesn't have to be it does. That does not him dissing Russ, you know, in a way where where he said it with the kind of tone that was of support. But also, yeah, it's got to be it's got to be better. And and so I thought yeah. that was interesting. And then LeBron took more of a LeBron was was more sort of directly supportive of Russ's game and of how he sees Russ ultimately being able to fit into this puzzle. But sort of it wasn't there tonight. It'll be there next time. And, you know, Vogel, I missed the start of Vogel because I, I, I uh, again, it was a little bit of like a, a different thing for me where I had to go in the court and do some post game. That's a whole You're other thing. Three jobs, Mike. <laughs> yeah. But so I and I went I got to go. I actually want to go back and listen. So I didn't hear Vogel's comment on on russ which you could probably fill in pete but i i suppose i suppose it was simple you know where it's like yeah you know russ didn't have it tonight and did, did you did you recall what vogel said specifically vogel just said that like like what do you expect i, I forget who asked it but the question was basically like what do you expect the fallout or the ramification these are probably two dramatic words but you bench Russell Westbrook for the second time. What do you expect to happen, Darius? And he was like, I expect the player to play better. And, I, you know, Russ came out there too. And Russ spoke yeah. on his game mm-hmm. as well. And I I thought that – I feel like that's kind of like a, well, yeah, of course he has to play better than that type type of thing. Uh, and I, But I thought that it was curious with LeBron and AD in particular, they both made comments about him being in his own head. Yeah. There was a play. There was a play in the first quarter. It was a transition play. Russ is coming up the left sideline and he's got Julius Randle tracking him. And so this is a transition open court type of play. And Randle ended up blocking the shot off of the backboard, swatted it. I want Russell Westbrook. Like to me, that was indicative. To me, that play was indicative of something larger about Russ right now that LeBron and AD saying he's in his head right now is, is an example of Russell Westbrook at his best ruins his angle a little bit, ruins Julius Randle's angle right there and tries to dunk on him. He doesn't make it, but he probably gets two free throws out of it. But the best Russell Westbrook is one that looks at that and is very aggressive. And I think that aggressiveness is what LeBron is talking about. Like you're two in your head, you're an instinctual player, go do what you do. Pete, he was talking to him right after the Charlotte game, which was Russ's best game, I think, in a long time. The Lakers didn't win. They were on the road. This was just a week ago. I bet you saw it like on the melts and after the game, he was just talking to him for a good like 30 seconds to a minute. Mm -hmm. Russ was nodding, but LeBron was talking the entire time. This wasn't a conversation, right? This was LeBron had something to say. He had something to say and he was telling him about it. The game had just ended. The Lakers had just lost. Russ had just missed a three-pointer that would have won the game. And you could tell LeBron was not talking to him about the miss. He was not talking to him about the loss. He was talking to him about the way that he had just played and carried the team. I have no idea what they were saying, but I would speculate that LeBron is saying, I'm hurt right now. I'm not playing. But what you just did, I need that dude. Can he be that guy, Darius, when LeBron's on the floor? This is where, and so here's the thing. 
I don't know. I think that's the question to figure out, right? Like these 25 games, God willing, we get some help. That's what we got to figure out. In this. That idea of him being an instinctual player, I think that's such a critical word. And it's the perfect mm-hmm. word to describe Russ. And Russ has not had to play with two players who are better than him, Pete, who are clearly better than him. Like, clearly. So Russ could look at Paul George. He could look at Paul George and say, yeah, maybe everyone else thinks you're better than me. You ain't better than me. Right? Like, I won MVP last year. I'm Russell Westbrook. I'm the dude who is all NBA. I'm the dude who is, like, it's my team. I'm the leader. Well, and even further to that point, he's certainly never played with a ball handler that's clearly better than he is. And on this Lakers team, like, if you had one possession for the fate of the universe, it's obvious who you give the ball to, and it's not Russell Westbrook. Yeah, well, so here's the thing, is people would argue Harden, right? But I know Russ is probably looking at Harden and, and being like, but here's what I'm saying, though. Russ is looking at Harden and being like, I've known you since we was pups. You ain't better than me, right? Yeah. Like, like we're peers at worst. Yes, and, and 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 that idea of okay, now how do I actually adjust when I know the possessions matter? I know, like, look for all the like, oh, self awareness stuff about Russ and, and how good he is or isn't, and how much he recognizes about himself or doesn't. This dude's been in the NBA for a long time. He's played in an NBA Finals. He's had deep runs in the playoffs. He's won an MVP award. He just made the 75 anniversary team. Russell Westbrook has basketball chops. He understands what's going on. Whether or not you trust his decision-making in the moment, that's not what this conversation is. What I'm talking about is he knows when possessions matter. He knows the players who are actually better than him, right? And he, and he respects that idea. Now, how big the list is in terms of players that he thinks are better than him, like that's a whole different conversation. And I don't want to go, go down that road. And so that it, what are his instincts actually telling him, Mike? Because I, don't, I would argue he doesn't have many instincts for this. He has instincts for when LeBron's not on the court. He has instincts for when he's partnered with with Anthony Davis. He has instincts when none of those dudes are in the game, right? Because he's been doing that. His instincts for when, oh man, I've got LeBron James on one side. I've got Anthony Davis right there. What am I actually supposed to do here? He has no muscle. He has so little muscle memory. For that. And when you're talking about can they get that version of him, Pete, I don't know. Because for all the like, we got to figure it out, that is the we got to figure it out stuff. Russ has stuff to figure out. Well, this is the part where we've watched Russ's career. And so we know his game and we know his instincts. And I think that the Knicks game was a, was a, like, why did he struggle like that? Well, clearly the biggest thing is LeBron's back. He doesn't know exactly where he should be, how often he's going to have the ball. Malik Monk is starting now. He's got the ball more than he did. Anthony Davis is in there. Like, so what am, what, is I, what am I supposed to do? Because he can't just be a spacer in the corner. You saw what happened when he did that. He caught the ball and he hesitated. That, that shot hasn't been there. there he can't drive uh, just 
into the paint the way that the Knicks were playing him. The Knicks are big. The Knicks had a rim protector in there the entire game, whether it was Robinson or, or Noel. So that predictable struggle, I got to an extent. And we're right back then to where, where is this going to turn for Westbrook? And what, how is he going to maximize what his skill set is around specifically with Monk, AD, and LeBron? And what skills does he have there? Is he going to focus more on defense? Is he going to do more off the ball? I mean, it's not the stuff that are that is as as Rich Rich wants is worried to too. Yeah. yeah, it's a he's wor- he's, and we're that's all the, worried. It's the same question yeah. that I had at the beginning of exactly. the season, and we haven't had this whole season to work on that. Yes, Riggs. It. So just so you guys know, and I I always feel a little bit bad for for this because you you don't need you don't listen to this podcast to have me cite my son coming on every time, but he really does love Darius and Pete. So he eventually will find a way to get to where I'm recording. And he, he wants to see his buddies. He just does. And I usually am able to mute it. Every uh, show? So, uh, yeah, but but anyway, please expand on what I just said about Russ and I'll go on mute here. So Riggs is our most prolific and most welcome uh, guest on the show always. With Russ, I think LeBron's point that he's an instinctual player and that he's too in his own head is that that idea of, oh, well, I'm on the floor with LeBron and AD now and I have to do something differently now is incorrect. Like I understand it and it's like you're but you're not going to get the best version of Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook knows how to play one way. And that was the foundation of my argument over the course of this summer that this is what he does. You can accept it or you can <laughs> Riggs is cracking his up. You can accept it or you can uh and work around it or you can try to fight it. Uh but Ultimately, Russ is going to be who he is. And, but that said, he knows he's not as good as LeBron. And so he's been trying to dial it back. That's what I see, Darius. And that play of him coming up the sideline is like, uh, should I attack here? Should I not? And to me, the answer is always attack. Go do what you do. Follow your instincts. Because those two dragons that we have, yeah. they will be able to work with and actually benefit from what Russ does well. That extra person that's also putting pressure on the rim, which is ultimately what Russ does at a high level, is he can attack the basket. And even off of the ball, there are ways to address that, Mike. Um, but D, that's ultimately what it comes down to me is like – that's LeBron saying, get out of your head, do what you do, we'll work around you. Yeah, and so Russ does have to figure that part part out. The reason why I called Russ, Russ's performance egregious is because the longer the game went on, the more you could tell that he started to float. So when when players get in his own head, when players mm-hmm. get in their own head, a lot of times you see it within the context of second-guessing something offensively. Right. And you saw plenty of that from from Russ. He had open threes that not only did he not take the open three, he was pump faking and then he was acting like he was going to drive and then he didn't even drive. And then it just ended up being like, okay, well, I'm going to pass now. Whatever advantage was there, the advantage is now gone. There's now five fewer seconds on the shot clock. Now it's someone else's turn to try to create an advantage again. That's fine. You in your own head, those are the possessions I expect. The possessions I don't expect or do not support and do not feel any empathy for are the ones where you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to stand over here sort of pouty on offense. I'm not mm-hmm. going to cut. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to do anything. And then and that's on, even worse on defense. And yeah. then on defense, I'm just going to stand up upright. 
I'm not going to close out. I'm not going to tag. I'm not going to do any of the little things that are expected of me. And so when he started the game or when he started the overtime on the bench, like not to reveal too much from our text thread, but I was just like, thank goodness. Oh, oh, I thought thought he waited too long to take him out. Thank goodness this dude is on the bench because honestly, he did not deserve to be in the game based off of his effort and his commitment to actually be in the game and in the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, so the, this is a the key point I thought you brought up there was the defense. And this is a, a classic NBA coaching thing. And I don't care if the shots aren't going in. You cannot let that affect your energy on the defensive end. And yet it's human nature, too. It's human nature at all levels of basketball. Uh, same thing happens with free throw shooting, which is contagious. And Boy, guys, free throw shooting. It, it, well, now the free throw shooting also is because we just have bad free throw shooters. So, you know, sorry. Other than like Malik Monk, but other guys are going to miss free throws. So I think that I, I was shocked it never hurt the Lakers in their playoff run. Uh, it Somehow, like there wasn't a game where it was like, wait, they lost us at the free throw line. But to get back to the point, like th- this is where if, if a guy like if KCP was 0 for 7 and, or Danny Green was 0 for 7, they were still typically going to give you defensive energy and effort. And that has to be the bare minimum for everybody that's on the way that this team is playing right now. And, and that, but yet we know that Russ is such an emotional player and such an emotional person. Mm -hmm. And that is part of the reason why he's had success throughout his whole life is that he's able to kind of channel that energy. But when it's not going his way and the defensive end, you're not getting that part of the Russell Westbrook experience. Like that's, that's the tough part. And that's when, like that's when Frank, who THD hadn't done anything in offense, but he brought him in and he was going to get something on the defensive end, if nothing else. The the Trudell clan is very passionate on the Russell Westbrook topic. I, that's appreciated. Um, there is so much. Gosh, if we could address all of the things I wanted to talk about from this game, the pod would be like three hours long. This whole idea of Russ. Here's the thing with, with Russ. He's the the less you need Russ, the better he is to have on your team. Like if you have to rely on on Russ, it's bad because he's got that degree of the bottom bottom falling out of his game in him. But we have the ability to put him on the bench at the end of games. It's not ideal, but the fact that you can take out when he's like that, that that's an asset. Gosh, I have so much more to say on the topic. We, we got to wrap it up here. We'll be back tomorrow. Again, there's a lot going on in Lakerland. We got the trade deadline coming up in a couple of days as well. Uh, just a ton to talk about. We'll be back tomorrow uh, to discuss more of it here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the an NBA finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen! Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over.
five. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.